so we continue with the series on the doctrine of baptisms, which is the third out of the six elementary principles taught us in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. There are six foundational doctrines taught to the body of Christ, the doctrine of repentance toward God, the doctrine of um, repentance from the dead works in, in the book of Acts. Paul refers to it as the repentance toward God. Um, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Um, and so we're dealing with this series, with the, the, the third of the doctrines, which is the doctrine of baptisms. And as we've already discussed up until this point, the doctrine of baptisms is exactly that. It's a plural baptism word that is used, not singular indicating to us that there are more than one, there is more than one baptism that Christians uh, can partake of in the uh, Christian walk. And we had a look at what those three baptisms are. And we saw that the first baptism is the baptism into Christ, and that each believer uh, partakes of this particular baptism because this is the baptism whereby we are saved. And the Holy Spirit himself baptizes us into Christ. And uh, we are fully immersed into Christ. We also saw that that's what the, the term baptism means. It means to be fully immersed. Um, and so every believer partakes of the first baptism. And we saw that there's two subsequent baptisms that is available to the Christian um, after they are saved. And the first, uh, the one baptism is the baptism in water. And the second baptism is uh, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And we've discussed the baptism in water. We found, we found in Scripture that the New Testament pattern is that believers are, were baptized in water almost immediately after they were born again, after they were saved. Um, and we've, uh, both baptisms that are subsequent to the first one of being baptized into Christ um, uh, uh, pertain to this life that we dwell in. It is not, they do not pertain to our eternal um, life that we inherit when we come into the kingdom of God. And so water baptism deals with the body of the sins of the flesh. Water baptism primarily is there to bury the, the, the body of sin of the old man and then be raised up together um, in newness of life when you are raised up out of water baptism. And that is why water baptism requires us to have full immersion because it is a burial, a death. We, are, we, are, we identify, yes we do, we identify with the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there is a, a spiritual connotation to water baptism. And the Bible talks about the fact that God um, does the circumcision uh, of the flesh made without hands. And he does that circumcision when we bury the body of the old man and he is raised up again, our bodies are raised up again, and we can then serve the Lord in newness of life. And we said that scripture very clearly teaches us that Christians who do not partake of water baptism will never, well, both these baptisms, water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit, unless the Christian partakes of both of these baptisms, they will never um, reach the full potential that God has ordained for their lives. For God has uh, certainly not ordained that some of his children should, should um, experience water baptism and others not, and some should experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and others not. His uh, perfect will for every one of his children 
is that every child of God experiences water baptism and the blessings thereof, and every child of God experiences the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the blessings thereof. And so we've said that um, if we do not partake of these two baptisms, then we will never reach the full potential that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and so we've discussed water baptism at length of the previous teachings and we've had it we've started to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, and we also saw that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers it is not uh, for uh, a select few believers a uh, number of believers every believer should partake of this baptism um, and the reason that believers don't partake of both baptisms in water and in the Holy Spirit is mainly due to ignorance because they've not been taught according to what the Bible actually teaches. And so that's really what um, the, the foundation doctrines is all about, is to teach Christians what their faith is and what, what it is that God requires of each one of us to do in order for us to receive our full reward when we get to heaven one day, that uh, we would have been fully compliant as servants of the Lord to doing that which the Lord calls each one of us to do. And one of those things is water baptism, the other one is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we had a look at the fact that being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, there is a difference because when we're baptized into Christ, we do um, receive the Holy Spirit at that instant. And we saw when our Lord appeared to the disciples, He breathed on them and He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so every single believer who comes into the body of Christ does receive the Holy Spirit inside of their spirits uh, in a measure, but is not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the Bible talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit as synonymous terms. It is the same uh, event, just two different descriptions of the same event. It also talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, the disciples as being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that subsequent event is uh, a fuller measure of the Holy Spirit because we are, the Bible describes it, as being filled with the Holy Spirit. So implying that believers who are born again and have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of them and obviously experiencing the blessing of God that the Holy Spirit brings into their lives, uh, through, and we, we had a look at all of the blessings that are, are, pertain to the born-again believer who has the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. Uh, the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirits. We are children of God. Uh, we're led by the Holy Spirit. They, they, I'm not going to go through all of them again. But there are numerous blessings that the Holy Spirit does bring into our lives when He comes to dwell within us when we are born again. However, we have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that our Lord was referring to when He said to the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, wait until the, I, the promise from the Father is received, and then you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses unto in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And our Lord said, and power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so the, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, introduces us to the supernatural, the tangible, supernatural power of God. And we had a look at the fact that the, the, uh, Paul teaches us very plainly in the, in the book of Corinthians that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And so we should be experiencing the power of God uh, in our lives. We should um, 
It is a, the Christian walk is a supernatural walk. It is not a, a natural walk by any stretch of the imagination. It is a supernatural walk. It, is, it requires the power of God to come into our lives to transform us into the image of Christ. And um, the power that comes upon us when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit is just multiplied to the nth degree because now we have been filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, we are introduced as I say to um, the supernatural in a tangible way when the power of God comes upon us and we are filled with the Holy Spirit so that is really the the, the um, kind of defining difference between receiving the Holy Spirit at birth, new birth, when new birth, when we're born again, and being filled with the Holy Spirit when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit, no difference of, of, of the, the personality, however, just a, a, a tremendously more, a greater measure, um, an infinitely greater measure is poured out in our hearts and uh, we can then begin to walk in the supernatural because that is really what, what the Christian walk is all about. And then we started to have a look at examples of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we saw that there's um, two kind of, uh, two categories of phenomena that will occur when people are full with the Holy Spirit. And, and then the, the crux of this teaching that we're going through over the previous teaching and today's teaching is really to just reinforce the scriptural background for being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because there's so much ignorance out there, there's so many people in the church who, who do not understand this particular uh, baptism. And there's been so much misinformation uh, given out there. And so we were basically uh, looking at Scripture from a point of view of trying to convince believers who have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, that this is what God has in, in store for them and it, 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 is, it is His will for them and so they should partake of it and they can partake of it. And so that's the, the, the main thrust of, of yesterday, last, yesterday's teaching and today's teaching as well. And so again we, we saw when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament we had just look at the one account we looked at the account of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost the very first time that the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit and we uh, we saw in that instance and we will look at uh, other instances over today's teaching for we're going to look at all of the accounts given to us in Scripture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just so that we can fully analyze it and uh, have a clear understanding as to how uh, the early church were baptized in the Holy Spirit and how we are baptized in the Holy Spirit today as well. Let me just say, same Holy Spirit in the early church as is in the church today. He hasn't changed one bit. Same Lord, the same Lord Jesus, same Lord Jesus we serve today that Paul and Peter served in their day. Same Lord, no change. Same church. There's no change to the church. We call, we refer to it as the early church just so as a point of reference. But it is exactly the same church um, that existed in Paul's day as exists today. And there is no, in the spirit realm, there is no time. Remember the, the scripture says, um, with God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And the the, the the, the scriptures are just trying to tell us from that point of view that there's no time in eternity. And so what took place 2,000 years ago in the church 
uh, as far as heaven is concerned, takes place in the church today because as far as heaven is concerned, it's the same church. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same Word of God. It's the same Lord Jesus. It's the same God the Father. Nothing has changed. Individuals have changed from the point of view of Paul has gone to be with the Lord, Peter's gone to be with the Lord, and now we're here. But so that, from that point of view, the individuals on the earth have changed. But the church, the body of Christ, has not changed. We are part of the body of Christ, just as Paul and Peter were part of the body of Christ and still are. And so what pertained to the early church pertains to the church today because there is no separation in the Spirit. There's no distance in the Spirit. There's no time in the Spirit. Um, and in eternity, it all stays exactly the same. So what was available to the church um, when the book of Acts were written is there for the church today to look at and say, okay, well, that's available to us. What they experienced is what we should be experiencing because we're the same church. We serve the same Lord. We have the same Holy Spirit. And there's no dispensation where the church is cut up into different ages. And so in this age, God does this with the church. In this age, God does this with the church. Not at all. It's the same church. And God does this with the church. We're in the church age. We're in the new covenant. The old covenant has come to a close. Um, well, it's actually not come to a close as far as the Jewish nation is concerned. It, it's it kind of shutting down. But we partake of the new covenant. And that new covenant is, came into, into being when our Lord Jesus came to the earth. And it has not gone away. That new covenant, is it stays. That's an eternal covenant that God has uh, made with all believers. And so we partake of everything that the New Testament saints in the in the Bible partook of and we should experience exactly what they experienced anyway so we saw that the and I pointed out that there are two categories of phenomena that occur when people are filled with the Holy Spirit and we said that um, when we look at scripture we will see in all of the accounts there's going to be a common thread that will follow through on all of the accounts and the common thread that I, I've already mentioned, and we'll go through them and you'll see it quite clearly, um, is the fact that uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the qualification is you have to be born again. Because you have to have been baptized into Christ before you can be filled with His Spirit. And so that is the first step that has to take place. Every single believer uh, is a, a, can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you have to be a believer in Christ. So that's the, that is the qualification. Then we saw um, that every single believer at the time that the Holy Spirit um, comes upon the grouping of believers who are um, seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, every single one of them at that time are filled with the Holy Spirit. There are none that are excluded. And so we can see from that New Testament pattern that the Holy Spirit, the, the infilling, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is um, for every single believer. It is not for a select few, for those whom God has chosen, all right, you will be now filled with the Spirit and you can now speak with other tongues and you can experience the supernatural. But the, this group of Christians over here, that's not for you. Not at all. Uh, we will see the New Testament pattern is that every single believer, every time when they were present, when the Holy Spirit was uh, fell up upon them, everyone was filled. 
And then we, the third, uh, and I've already alluded to it, the third um, phenomena that occurs in every single instance when people are filled with the Holy Spirit is that they, they then begin to speak with other tongues. And uh, toward the end of this teaching, we won't get through, get through it to today, but we're really going to have a look at the gift of tongues because it is such a precious gift given to the church. And it's only for the church age. It's given to the church. It, has, it was not given to the Old Testament saints. And it is a very powerful um, tool is not the right word, but it is a very powerful um, ability given to the church by the Holy Spirit. And that particular phenomenon um, occurs every single time people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. So those are the three um, aspects um, of, of phenomena that occur in every instance. And as I said, there's two categories. So that's the one category. The second category is phenomena that occurs only on certain occasions as we read in Scripture. And so the reason that the Holy Spirit records only certain of them on certain occasions is He's showing us that these things can and should happen in the church when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, but not every time. Um, because they only happened on certain occasions in the early church. And so the church today can expect them to happen, but also only as the Spirit of God wills. Whereas the other uh, three elements, well, not really three elements, but so yet um, every child of God can expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And every child of God who is filled with the Holy Spirit can expect to speak in other tongues. That is a given because that is the New Testament pattern. We'll have a look at that in more detail. But the other phenomena uh, that occurred when individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit only occurred on, on certain occasions. It didn't occur every time. And so the Holy Spirit is saying to us, this is possible. Um, when I come upon you, this could happen, but it, don't expect it to always happen because it is as the Spirit of God wills that these phenomena occur. And we saw with regards to uh, the example we looked at in the church being filled in the day of Pentecost, the phenomena that occurred only recorded on that instance. Uh, was the, the sound of a, a rushing mighty wind. The Holy Spirit came from heaven in the form of the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it was that powerful and that tangible that the unbelievers living in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, heard it. They were attracted to, this, to their home uh, that was filled with all these, all these saints because they heard this powerful sound of, of a rushing mighty wind. And they would, came to investigate what this was all about. And so that was a once-off. But because it was recorded for us in the New Testament, it can and does happen again. And there have been recorded instances in the church today where the Holy Spirit has made Himself manifest in meetings in that form, in that there has been like a wind blowing through the meeting, and people have recognized that is in fact the Holy Spirit making Himself manifest, and the presence of God was, was very powerfully felt in those meetings. Then there was the other uh, phenomena that occurred in that Tons of fire came down on each one of the disciples at that time. And it was never recorded again in Scripture that tongues of fire came down on the disciples. But because it did happen then, it can and should happen now as the Spirit wills. And again, there have been recorded instances throughout uh, the centuries um, of the Holy Spirit making Himself manifest in meetings through fire and people seeing the fire of God being displayed uh, in their midst. Um, and 
there was, so there was those two, and then behaving like drunken men. Because don't forget, in the book of Acts, when, when they were filled with the Spirit in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, the unbelievers, not all of them, but uh, quite a few of them were actually mocking the believers because they said, these guys are drunk, these guys are intoxicated. They've, they've been you know, getting stuck into something that they shouldn't be. And the reason that the unbelievers were accusing them of being drunk is because that is how they were behaving. They were acting as if they had been drunk. Now, they weren't acting, but they were, they were reacting, is, is a better way of putting it across, to the infilling of the Holy Spirit by behaving as people who were completely intoxicated. And when somebody is completely intoxicated, one of the things they battle to do is they battle to stand up straight. A lot of times, uh, intoxicated people fall down. They cannot walk. Uh, um, and that is how the unbelievers were looking at these believers because these believers were behaving in exactly that manner. When people are intoxicated with alcohol, quite often they, they, they laugh uncontrollably. They can't stop laughing about it. They laugh about every little thing. And that phenomenon does occur in the church even today where people uh, laugh uncontrollably in the spirit. Um, and we kind of differentiated between the two because we said when, when, when people laugh for, for a long period of time in the natural, it becomes very uncomfortable. They, they experience discomfort in their physical bodies because uh, they've been laughing that much, that it, their stomachs hurt, etc., etc. But when you laugh in the spirit um, and you can be laughing for a long period of time, there is absolutely no discomfort felt at all because it is the joy of the Lord that fills that individual and they just you know can, cannot help laughing um, and that's the power of God coming on them and then even today people fall under the power of God people stagger under the power of God um, and behave like drunken men but not always not on every occasion in scripture did that happen and not every occasion when people are filled with the spirit today will that happen but because it did happen and was recorded for us in Scripture, we can expect that it can happen in our midst today. And, but again, those phenomena occur as and when the Holy Spirit wills. It's not to be expected uh, when people are filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. Then we saw that there are, uh, we discussed the fact that there are two methods that God uses to fill His saints with the Holy Spirit uh, as recorded for us in Scripture. And I mentioned the two methods, and I said we will have a look at them as we go through the accounts. The two methods are being filled directly from heaven it's, itself. That's the Lord Jesus himself pouring out his Holy Spirit upon his saints directly and, and filling them uh, directly from heaven. And the other method is through the laying on of hands. And we will look at those two methods. Now, with regards to the, the account that we read in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, the method that God used in order to fill them with the Holy Spirit was He filled them directly from heaven. Uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out directly upon them from heaven and they were filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. No one laid hands on them on that occasion in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And so those are the two methods that we will see that are used primarily to uh, fill individuals with the Holy Spirit. Um, Overall, there's six incidents, there's five accounts in the book of Acts, which we're going to have a look at. And then there's Paul talks about um, Timothy receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. So in total, there's six accounts recorded for us. Um, Timothy's account is not recorded for us in detail 
Paul only explains, uh, tells, reminds Timothy that he received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. So we can pick that one up just to kind of reinforce, reinforce for us the method that God uses in order for individuals to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So of the six, two of them are individuals being filled um, with the Holy Spirit directly from heaven. And four of them are individuals being filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And so the Holy Spirit is now just um, indicating to us that the most common method for his saints to be filled with the Holy Spirit is through the laying on of hands. And we kind of discussed it. Um, if, you, if you look at the teaching on the laying on of hands, the whole purpose of laying on of hands is so that people can have a point of contact to release their faith. For we are filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. We can only receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And people find it easier to release their faith when hands are physically laid upon them. And the anointing can be transferred through the individual's hands into their bodies and they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the majority of instances where people will be filled with the Holy Spirit is through the laying on hands. That is uh, the main method that the Lord uses to fill His saints with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to continue. We're going to look at the rest of the accounts in the book of Acts. So there's four more accounts we need to look at and we'll go through them and we'll um, open them up and analyze them and we'll see what truths the Holy Spirit can reveal to us as we go through each one of these accounts so we have a, a clearer understanding regarding this baptism called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the next account we will look at in Scripture is in Acts chapter 8 beginning at verse 14. And... Uh, I'll read it through and, it's, uh, and to, uh, to the end, which is in verse 24, we'll stop. Scripture says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. See, there's that term again, fallen upon. So there's three, three common terms that we see in Scripture, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit falling upon uh, the saints. Um, in verse 16, For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, Then they laid hands on them, this would be now Peter and John, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon, now this is another Simon, this is not Simon Peter, um, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that, there are, that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered Peter um, and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the, the things which you have spoken may come upon me. All right, so let's have a look at this account and let's give a little bit of background here because I've brought us into this account just as the two apostles are actually going to pray for the church. But the background here is, is that Philip the evangelist, although at that time he wasn't an evangelist, Philip 
an evangelist. Uh, but in later in Scripture, we, the Bible calls him uh, an, an evangelist. But at this time, Philip is still a deacon. Um, what has happened is that persecution has broken out against the church in Jerusalem. And through Saul um, and the stoning of Stephen, that's when the persecution broke out. And the saints have been scattered all uh, throughout Judea and Samaria. And they go out preaching the gospel. The apostles stay behind in Jerusalem. Philip is one of those who's been scattered and he goes down to the city of Samaria and he preaches the gospel to them. Now he has uh, the calling of the evangelist upon his life. And so when he does preach the gospel to them, he also is able to minister to them through the gifts of the working of miracles and gifts of healings. Because those two giftings um, form part of the ministry gifts that are given to the evangelist. A true evangelist is one who preaches the gospel for salvation, but also is able to demonstrate the power of God through um, people being uh, healed and demons cast out. And so what happened in, in Philip's case is that many people had demons cast out of them and many paralyzed were healed and raised. And so he has a, a city-wide revival and he, multitudes come into the kingdom of God in that city. He then baptizes them in water. The scripture says in Verse 16, for as yet he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them, none of these new converts. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Philip had then, when he had preached the gospel and these multitudes had given their hearts to the Lord, Philip had baptized them in water. And Philip was very strict about baptizing in water. We know that because when God sent him down to um, minister to the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch in Gaza, the very first thing he does when the, the guy accepts Jesus is he baptizes him in water. And Philip preaches baptism in water because that's what, that's what the eunuch says. He says, he has water, why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, you can, but you first have to believe. And so the guy says, I believe in Jesus as Christ is the Son of God. Philip says, okay, I'll baptize you in water. So he baptizes all of these new converts in Samaria in water. And so they're born again, and they've been baptized in water. But at that time, they had no, none of them have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come, not come upon any one of them. However, we do know that they all had the Holy Spirit now residing inside of them, because they're all born again already. So what happens is, Philip sends to Jerusalem, and he says, Guys, I've had a tremendous revival. I'm going behind the scenes. I'm giving my, my paraphrase here. We've had a tremendous revival down here. I need help. I need people to come down and pray for these new converts that they may be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what Philip needs. He needs not, He doesn't need anything else at this time because he's, he's, they, they're born again. Um, he's got them baptized in water, and he's teaching them with the Word of God. He, for he knows enough about the Word of God, but he needs help in this particular area. The church then sends specifically the apostles Peter and the apostles John down to Samaria. So why did they do that? Well, the scripture tells us why they, they did that. Um, it's in verse, well, let's read it from verse 14 again. So it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, so they, the the, the, the the apostles have heard, okay, there's been a citywide revival in Samaria. These guys have come into the kingdom. They've received the word of God. They sent, the apostles, sent Peter and John to them. Why? Who, when they came down, 
prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So that is why Peter and John came to the city of Samaria, because their specific task when they came down there was to pray for the new converts that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And so why couldn't Philip do that? Because, I mean, Philip uh, had preached the gospel to them. If you go read Philip's, uh, 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 the account of what transpired, Philip, uh, under his ministry, uh, many people, demons were cast out of them, and paralyzed people were healed, and lame people were healed, and, you know, there was great rejoicing in the city. Um, and Philip had baptized everybody in water. So why couldn't Philip lay hands on the new converts so that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, there is a reason. The reason is, Philip didn't have that anointing upon his ministry. The anointing to uh, fill individuals with the Holy Spirit, for it is a specific gift. Uh, let's have a look at the script, what the scripture says and calls it a gift. Um, when Simon offers Peter money, and I'm jumping ahead myself, but I just want to show you that it's called a gift. He offers money. He says, please give me this power also, because I want to be able to do this. All right. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. So a lot of people say, okay, well, the gift of God is the, Holy, the, the, filling, the Holy Spirit, being you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not the gift that Peter is talking about. That's certainly not the gift that Simon's talking about. Simon is saying, I want this ability to be able to lay my hands on individuals that they may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter calls it a gift. He says, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased. And so it is a gift for, um, that Peter and John have received from the Lord, whereby they're anointed by, of God, that when they lay hands on individuals, God fills them with the Holy Spirit. That is their gifting. They have that particular gifting. Now that particular gifting, if you go and look at the uh, book of Corinthians, um, chapter 12, it talks about the, the, the nine gifts of the, uh, yeah, nine gifts of the Spirit. Um, one of those gifts of the Spirit is called the gift of the working of miracles. This particular gift of laying hands on saints in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the gift of the working of miracles. It's one facet of the gift of the working of miracles that are, is being made manifest. And that the miracle is, is that God fills the saint with the Holy Spirit. And that's the, the miracle that takes place. And Peter and John are specifically anointed by God to operate in this gift. Philip wasn't. And so Philip couldn't do it. Philip could have prayed individually for uh, people in faith and laid hands, but multitudes had been saved. That whole city was rejoicing. And so Philip couldn't get it done. He, he didn't have that anointing upon him. He needed uh, individuals who had that specific gift, that anointing on their ministries to come down and get, give him a hand in this area. And so Peter and John come down. And so the, the apostles' ministry carries all nine gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit. You, you can study scripture, you'll see. And one of the, the facets of the gift of the working of miracles is the laying on of hands for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John come down there to fulfill that role. When they do, the scripture is very plain about it. It says, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so it was in this instance, in the, the first instance we had a look at, God uh, filled his saints directly from heaven. In this instance, the saints were filled through the laying on of hands. And specifically through Peter and John's laying on of hands. We weren't filled through Philip's laying on of hands because Philip did not have 
that gift operating in his ministry. It's not, that particular gift is not um, part of the ministry of the evangelist. It is part of the ministry of the apostle, definitely, and most probably the prophet as well, but not part of the ministry gift of the evangelist, which Philip stood in. So the scripture very plainly says to us, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now look at what happens in verse 18. At this Simon that we're talking about now is, um, we just get a bit of background on Simon. Simon is in the city of, city of Samaria before Philip ever gets there. And Simon is somebody who operates in the power of the occult. Uh, he's a sorcerer. He's able to work with demons in order to cause supernatural things to happen. And he is very powerfully used in this area by Satan and his uh, demons. And he knows how to operate. And there are people out there that are sorcerers they, they, and wizards, whatever you call those people, witches. And they know how to operate in the occult. They know how to operate with supernatural powers that are, uh, you know, part of Satan's kingdom. And they can work with Satan and they can make supernatural things happen. Um, that, that's a given. And so Simon was able to do that to the extent that Everybody in the city you know, called him the great power of God. You go read it in the scriptures. They called him the great power of God uh, because he amazed them with uh, his, his occultish powers that he actually demonstrated. So Simon has a, a huge following in the city of Samaria. And everybody recognizes that this guy is really, you know, there's, some, there's, there's a supernatural ability about this chap. He can do stuff. All right, the Bible doesn't tell us what he could do, but he could do stuff. And it was all supernatural stuff, and it blew everybody's mind. And they all thought he was the greatest thing out there, okay? Um, and he made his money, he made his livelihood from that. And he made a lot of money um, because he had a huge following. Now comes along Philip into the, into the city of Samaria, and Philip now preaches Christ to everybody. And now Philip uh, gets people saved, and Philip starts casting out demons, and Philip starts getting people healed. And Simon is watching all of this because now he, he's Simon is, is pretty afraid with the supernatural. He's just got the wrong end of the stick because he's, he's, he's playing around with Satan's uh, power and not with God's power. He doesn't know God's power. He just knows Satan's power. And so he's recognizing, but wait a minute, he has a supernatural power being made manifest that I have not encountered. And the Bible talks about the fact Simon eventually gives his heart to the Lord as well. He becomes a believer. And he continues to follow Philip now because he, he, he has an understanding of the supernatural, but he's amazed at what he's seen through the ministry of Philip. Okay? But he doesn't do anything about it. He just, he followed, the Bible talks about the fact that he follows Philip. And so you, you need to understand where, where Simon's coming from because Simon is a businessman. He's a businessman that deals, has dealt, for however long we don't know, um, in supernatural occultic powers. And so he's made a lot of money through, that, uh, through the operation of, de of demonic powers. Um, he's now seen something else. He's seen the power of God being made manifest. 
But now what happens is Peter and John come on the scene, and Peter and John lay hands on all of the disciples. Now you must understand, when Philip was uh, casting out demons, not everybody had demons. And so it was only certain individuals that had demons that Philip cast the demons out of. And not everybody, and Philip had this anointing upon his life, because he had the gift of healings operating through his life, and the working of miracles, in that he could cast out demons. But in the, the gift of healings that were operating in Philip's ministry was being able to heal paralyzed and lame individuals. That's the only uh, healings that are recorded in Scripture under Philip's ministry. We see, hear nothing about blind people being healed or deaf people being healed, nothing like that. And so Philip's anointing given to him by God is in this area. And he can, if you're paralyzed, go to Philip because he can lay his hands on you and God's going to heal you because that's his anointing. If you're lame, God's going to heal you through this man's ministry. But there's only so many people that are lame and paralyzed uh, who are believers. And so it's not a huge amount of people that Philip uh, is able to heal. All right. But now Peter and John come down on the scene and now Peter get hold of everyone. Every single believer, and there were multitudes, don't forget. It was a citywide revival. They lay hands on every single individual, and everyone they lay hands on is filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember we said there's going to be um, three things that have to always be present with the, when the Holy Spirit is uh, made manifest, in that He falls upon the individual or he, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you have to be born again. All of these saints were born again. Philip got them born again. Um, so they, they met that criteria, they qualified. And everybody, we said, would be filled. Whoever in that area who is now seeking to be filled, everyone is filled. That is the, the biblical pattern. And that's exactly what happens here. Whoever uh, Peter and John lay their hands on are filled with the Holy Spirit. No exceptions. Now Simon watches this. And Simon sees that. And now, this is where Simon's coming from when he sees us. Let's have a look at it again in verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So before, let's just stop there. Simon saw evidence, clear evidence, that when Peter and John laid their hands on the saints, the Holy Spirit was given. So there was something tangible that on each one of them that Simon saw that convinced him these guys have the real deal they can whoever they lay their hands on they get they're able to fill that person with the Holy Spirit so what because the Bible does not tell us here what Simon saw and so we have to go with what is recorded for us in the rest of the scriptures and we'll look at all of the accounts but what Simon saw in all accounts is that everybody spoke with other tongues because that you'll see in all of the other instances, everybody spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the one evidence that Simon saw. The other evidence that Simon saw, I guarantee you, is that these individuals also began to behave like drunken men, staggering about as the power of God came upon them, laughing uncontrollably in the Spirit, almost exactly like the occurrence in recorded for us in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were filled on the day of Pentecost. And you say that you're really reading a lot into that. How do you pick that up? Well, let's carry on with what Simon saw. Um, it's like that thing Simon says. But anyway, what Simon saw is in verse 18, we'll start again. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. 
saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon, don't forget where his background is. He's come out of the occultish powers. He's, that's his business. And he's made a lot of money um, through that. Philip comes on the scene, and Philip now gets everybody born again. Uh, Simon's, and Simon gets born again as well. So Simon can't go back into his old business as a Christian and carry on. He can't. That, that, that business is gone. That uh, livelihood has gone out of the window. He, not only can't he do it as a Christian, but there's hardly anybody in town who, who would be interested anymore because they're all Christians now. There's been a citywide revival. And so nobody's interested in the occultic powers, occultic powers anymore. And so Simon looks at this as a business opportunity. Wait a minute now, because now he sees this, is, this affects everyone. It's not just a few people who are demon-possessed or a few people who are who lame. He's seen that everybody who, who these guys put hands on get filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, he sees that. And he offers Peter and John money to buy this power. Let me have the same power that you guys have got that everybody I lay hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when he offers Peter and John money, he doesn't offer them, you know, I've got a hundred rand of me, can I get that gift? Not at all. He's offering them serious money because he's looking at this as a business opportunity. He thinks, okay, well, you know, I lost that business now because that's out of the window, but this is a business I can really get into because it affects every, I, whoever I touch. I'm, I can impart the, the Holy Spirit. They can be full of the Holy Spirit. So he offers them some serious money for this particular gift. And Peter deals with them, quite harshly, but quite correctly, because Simon had almost uh, uh, stepped over the mark of getting close to blaspheme in the Holy Spirit, because he's looking at this as a business opportunity. And, you know, obviously you, you, that, that's not the way to go with the Holy Spirit. You don't look at his power as being used as a business opportunity. And so that is what Simon saw. He saw clear evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so it would have been exactly what we see in other accounts. Every one of those saints would have been filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And a lot of them most probably were falling under the power of God. The power of God was made manifest through them um, that they were behaving like drunken men. And that is what Simon was prepared to pay a serious amount of money for in order that he could now start up a new business uh, with the power of God. And obviously Peter sorts him out and Simon repents. And so that kind of unpacks for us this particular account. So the, the, three, the three consistent points through here is that the saints were all born again already before they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it could have only happened a few days afterwards that they were filled with the Holy Spirit because Philip sends up to uh, Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem decide who they're going to send down. They then send Peter and John down. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a couple of days. And when Peter and John come, at that time, none of the saints have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they come, they pray for them, lay, lay hands on them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they, they qualified because they were born again. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. Not one was left out. And uh, Simon saw evidence, clear evidence, of them being filled with the Holy Spirit, so much so that he was willing to pay serious money for that same ability. Um, and so it could have only been speaking with other tongues and obviously behaving like drunken men. That's Simon saw and he was willing to pay money for. Um, 
that's the, the, the phenomena that is consistent in all accounts. There's no other uh, phenomena that, are des- that is described to us. We just had, now just had a look at the two different methods that God used. We've looked at uh, Pentecost, direct from heaven, and now we've looked at this instance, which is through the laying on of hands. And uh, I think that's pretty much covered everything with regards to this instance. So let's go and move on and look at the next instance that uh, occurred with the, the, the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the next account we get is in Acts chapter 9. Uh, beginning at verse 17. Now, this is the account where Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll pick it up from verse 17. The scripture says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Um, and then we can pick up a, a, another verse of scripture that just gives us a little bit of insight as to what happened here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, Paul speaking about his own uh, walk as a Christian, he says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. All right, so let's now have a look at this account. In this account, um, a few things we can look at here. One is that a one disciple is laying hands on another disciple. Ananias was not in the ministry. He wasn't uh, an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. He wasn't called of God in that aspect. He was just a, a layman, um, and he was a disciple. And the Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, I want you to go to this particular house, and Saul is there, and I want you to go lay hands on him so he can receive his sight, and be baptized with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus specifically sends him there for those two points, uh, to be uh, get his, his, his eyesight back and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a bit of background, what happened on the way to Damascus, Paul has an encounter with the Lord. The Lord appears to him, uh, blind in light, and that's why Paul can't see anymore. And the Lord appears to him in the Spirit, and Paul sees the Lord, and he converses with the Lord, and he obviously gets born again. And now, three days later, uh, Paul is now in this home. He gets led into Damascus. The guys that are with him, they have to lead him in because he can't see anymore. He's blind. And he goes into this person's house that he was meant to go stay there. um, And he fasts. He eats nothing. He drinks nothing for three days. And he just prays. Because he's had a serious encounter with the Lord. And he's he's completely shook up. Now, when he's fasting and praying, he sees a vision. The Lord gives him a vision of Ananias coming in and laying hands on him. And we know that because when our Lord appears to Ananias, uh, and Ananias kind of argues with the Lord because the Lord says, I want you to go down there, I want you to lay hands on him so you can get his sight and so he can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias says, what, do you, Lord, are you right? Do you, do you understand what you're asking me to do? This is the guy who's destroying your church. You know, are you sure you want me to do this? And the Lord says, no, no, he's already, he's been, he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man by the name of Ananias coming in and lay hands on him. And so the Lord has been given visions out left, right, and center. Oh, it sounds kind of not the right thing, but that's exactly what happened. Is that, you know, Paul sees a vision, Ananias sees a vision. Um, and so Ananias is obedient. He goes down. 
And he goes down specifically for these two points uh, to uh, allow Paul to receive his sight and the scales fall off of Paul's eyes and he gets his sight restored and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we, when, when this account happens, we don't see Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. Although, and then I says, I'm, I'm sent by the Lord that you may receive your sight and filled with the Holy Spirit. So obviously when he laid hands on him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. Because we do know that Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And so when Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, he too spoke with other tongues. Um, it was after that that then Ananias takes him down into the water and water baptizes him. So in Paul's case, he meets the conditions of he was born again already, so he qualified. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit three days after being born again because nobody was there. He was also only water baptized three days after he was born again because nobody was with him who could baptize him in water. And so Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit three days later um, and Ananias gets a 100% success rate because God sent him to just lay hands on Paul, Saul, and Saul is filled. So everybody who was present who was seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know it's one-on-one, -on -one, but that's exactly what happened. Um, and Paul spoke with other tongues because he, we know he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And those are the three qualifications for this particular instance. So the unique thing about here is that we see that it is possible for one disciple to lay hands on another disciple uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But obviously the disciple who's laying hands on the other disciple has to themselves have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't be the other way. You can't have one who's not filled with the Holy Spirit laying on hands on somebody who also is not filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't work. In that instance, then you have to ask the Lord to fill you directly from heaven. But in this case over here, the Lord specifically sends Ananias down to Saul to lay hands on him that he may be, receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul speaks with other tongues. There's no other phenomena that is mentioned uh, in Paul's account when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that pretty much covers, up, covers Paul's account. But the three consistent phenomena stays. Paul was born again. Paul, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul spoke with other tongues. Those are the three that consistently stay. Then we look at the fourth account given to us in scripture of people being filled with the Holy Spirit and we go down to Acts chapter 10 and we start at verse 44 we're going to read through to verse 48 scripture says while Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also now get this Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. And then there's a little bit more insight we want to pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 8. Peter just recounting this, uh, this incident and he gives us a little bit more insight actually what transpired on that day. He says, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. All right. So the background to this account here is this is the very first time that the Gentiles get to hear the gospel. 
Up until this time, the gospel has been preached to the Jews only. The Jews, uh, the, the apostles got it wrong. The Lord had been saying to them all the time, guys, you need to be going out everywhere and preach to every creature. Uh, their Jewish mindset was every creature means every Jewish uh, person out there. The Gentiles don't register on their thinking, thinking at all. They don't realize that God called the Gentiles into the church. And so they don't preach to the Gentiles, okay? God has to deal with it, so he deals with it with Peter. He gives him a vision. We all know about the vision of the sheep coming down with the, the unclean uh, animals in it. And the Lord saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no ways, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. The Lord said, what, what God has cleansed, you cannot call unclean. You must not call unclean. God does it to him three times. He still doesn't get it. He's thinking about it, doesn't understand. In the meantime, the Lord has appeared to Cornelius, who is a Gentile, not a proselyte. He's a Gentile uh, believer, but he's not born again, obviously, because today, in this age, you have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's no good just believing in God, you've got to accept Jesus. So he's a believer, but he's not accepted Jesus, but he's heard. There's been a controversy that's pitched in town. So Philip is right, because Philip lived in Samaria, if you go look at Scripture. Um, he comes in, and now there's a, there's a split between the Jews, because Philip is saying Christ Jesus is the Messiah. majority of the Jews are saying, well, that's not right. Jesus is not the Messiah. And so um, Cornelius is praying. He says, Lord, I need some help here. Who's got it right? Is this Jesus that Philip's talking about the Messiah or not? God answers his prayer. God sends an uh, angel down to him and says, you need to get a hold of Peter and bring him down here. And when he comes down here, he's going to give you words whereby you and your household can be saved. So uh, Cornelius gets a, some Jewish, um, a couple of Jewish soldiers and one servant, and he sends them off to, to get a hold of Peter. They get hold of Peter. Um, Peter's on the, on, the, on the roof. He's trying to work out this vision. Uh, what on earth is the Lord saying to me? And the Holy Spirit says, I've sent three guys to you. You need to go down with them. Doubting nothing, I've sent them. And so Peter goes down. He says, okay, what do you guys want? They come from, uh, for Peter because uh, our master was praying and he's seen a vision of an angel. And an angel told him to send to you to come down to them to preach and tell them uh, words whereby they can be saved. So Peter goes down. He takes six other Jewish guys down with him because he knows he's now going to kind of overstep the mark, and he wants backup, because Jews at that time do not have fellowship with Gentiles at all. They don't have anything to do with them. He comes into Cornelius's house, and he says, why do you guys call me down here? And then Cornelius gives him the whole rundown again, and uh, the penny starts to drop with Peter, and he realizes, okay, God is actually calling the Gentiles into the church. And so Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. And that's where we picked it up in verse 44. The scripture says, while Peter was still speaking these words, they're hearing the gospel preached for the very first time. So Cornelius had got together his family and a whole bunch of friends. And they're now listening to what Peter's got to say. As they're listening, they get born again. They believe in their hearts that Christ Jesus is Lord. You go back and you look at the account of what Peter was preaching, he was preaching about Jesus Christ being Lord. And they believed. And when they believed, they were born again instantly. Now, when they were born again instantly, God had to do something supernaturally. Um, why? Because think about the background. He has Peter preaching to Gentiles with six of Peter's cronies behind him, all Jews. And no, none of them have seen this vision given to uh, Peter when he was in a trance. None of them has the Holy Spirit spoken to. 
And so none of them are at all clued up on this fact that the Gentiles are coming into the church. And so they need to be convinced. God knows that he's going to convince them and Peter as well. That the Gentiles who you just preached to are born again. Because even if those Gentiles had said, we've accepted Jesus, we believe in Jesus, the Jews wouldn't have accepted that. They wouldn't have said, no, they can't. You, you can say it as much as you like, but we don't believe it because you know, we're Jews, you're Gentiles, you don't come into the, into the kingdom. And so God does a supernatural thing. What God does is he then baptizes the Gentile believers in the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish believers are completely astonished because what they see is the Gentiles speaking in tongues like they did when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so they're completely blown away. And they can't argue because God's gone ahead and done it right before their very eyes. And so that's what God did. But the sequence of events occurred in this manner, and you've got to pick it up. In verse, 15, uh, in verse 8 of chapter, Acts 15, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them. So God knew that each one of them had given their hearts to Him. So He acknowledged them. They were now His children. When God acknowledges us, He acknowledges us as His children were born again. And He acknowledged them how? By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And so we saw in the Scripture says in verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And so the, the, the evidence clear to the Jewish believers who were standing behind Peter, that these guys have received the Holy Spirit. Let's read in verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For, because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And so the evidence, there was clear evidence to the Jewish believers standing behind Peter that these guys have received the Holy Spirit is that they began to speak with other tongues just like they had on the day of Pentecost. That is how God solved the problem of bringing the Gentiles into the church and letting the Jews recognize that the Gentiles are part of the kingdom. And so, again, there is no different phenomena here. The, the phenomena are, meets the same criteria of all three that we've been speaking about up to now. These Gentile uh, believers were born again. God acknowledged them. He, he knows that he knew their hearts. He acknowledged them. When they were born again, the instant in that they were born again, God filled them with the Holy Spirit. So the method that God used here is not through the laying of hands. He did it directly himself. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. And every one of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, it says, and all those who heard the word, uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And so everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, everyone born again, everyone present filled with the Holy Spirit, and everyone spoke with other tongues. That is the three uh, phenomena or, or aspects that are consistent through all of the accounts in Scripture in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to have a look at the last account in Scripture, the, the final account in the book of Acts, um, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we move to Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Scripture says, And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Very important uh, comment that Paul makes there. He says, uh, So they said to him, We've not so much as heard whether, it is, whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. 
in the penny drops with Paul. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. All right, so let's unpack this one. Um, Paul gets, comes down to Ephesus, and he runs into a group of disciples. And there happen to be about 12 men, the Bible talks about that. And so he's now conversing with them. And you can see how their conversations go. And he said, do you, do you believe? And yes, I do believe. Um, and it, it, the, the inference is, Paul says, were you baptized in water when you believed? And they answer yes, because all of John's disciples were baptized in water. So they could answer yes. So Paul and the disciples are talking past each other. They think they're talking about the same thing, but in fact they're not. And so Paul does ask this question. Were you baptized in water when you believed? So again, because Paul knows how, the, the, how things work. He knows that you get to believe first. You be, first become a Christian. You first get born again. Then you get baptized in water. And then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now those two we said can happen in reverse order. That matters not. First thing you have to be born again. So Paul is asking, did you guys get baptized in water when you believed? So yes, they did. And that's, that's how they answered. Then he asked them the next question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so Paul recognizes that being, and now he talks about receiving the Holy Spirit. So we've got baptism in the Holy Spirit, we've got being filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Paul talks about, did you receive the Holy Spirit? So all of these terms are interchangeable, all referring to the one event called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it all takes place subsequent to salvation. Paul's question, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? Because he knew, Paul knew, it's quite possible that believers had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Born again, had the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of them, but not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Now comes the, the revelation. And so, wait a minute, we don't even know what you're talking about. We've not heard there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. So now Paul backs up again. He says, well, wait a minute, okay, but then into what were you baptized? Because Paul has, recognized, has, has found out these guys have been baptized in water. But now they've not heard about the Holy Spirit, so now he wants to, wait a minute, then in what were you baptized? Um, and so they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And then the penny drops with Paul. Oh, okay. All right, so that's the water baptism you guys had. All right, but let me explain. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance uh, in preparation for the coming Messiah, and he preaches the gospel to them, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They believe that. When they do... Paul then baptizes them once again in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, in verse 5, it says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul gets them born again, gets them baptized in water. And then what happens in verse 6, And when Paul laid, had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they get this, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Okay, so the sequence of events is exactly the same in as all the other accounts. Born again first, baptized into water, and that, as I said, is not the sequence. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit first before water baptism, it doesn't matter. But born again first. Then filled with the Holy Spirit, evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is they began to speak with other tongues. Now, that's the consistent three things being met again. But here we see another phenomena occurring. They spoke with other tongues and prophesied. 
This is the only time we see in Scripture where they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. Now, again, so this the prophecy part of it falls into the category of phenomena that occur as and when the Holy Spirit wills. So it can and does happen in the church today, but it doesn't happen every time saints are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, the phenomena is, is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were made manifest in this instance. In this particular instance, it was the gift of prophecy that was given to these individuals, and they began to prophesy after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but I think I've covered it in, in as much depth as I can from the point of view of what um, transpires in each case. And you can see the thread that's come through, is that being baptized in the Holy Spirit is an event that occurs in the life of the believer subsequent to salvation. And it's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's called having the Holy Spirit come upon you. It's called having, receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, so it has all of these different terms, but it all speaks about the same thing. And every single individual, all 12 of those that Paul laid hands on, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not one, only 11 got it and one didn't. No, all 12 of them got it. And so in all accounts we see in the Scripture, every single believer present at the time received the Holy Spirit, were filled with the Holy Spirit. When they did, they all spoke with other tongues. But there were instances where there were other phenomena that was also displayed. Um, and so there will be instances when people are full of the Holy Spirit under the current uh, time that we're living in, in this present uh, age. Um, that's not the right term, but the, the, this current year, this current century, whatever. Um, there are going to be certain other phenomena that will occur, but not always. And the other phenomena is the sound of a rush, rushing mighty wind, um, the, the fire of God being displayed, the gifts of the Spirit being displayed in prophecy, people behaving like drunken men, uncontrollable laughter in the Spirit. Those are the kind of phenomena that can occur and should occur, but not always. But what should always occur is people should be speaking in other tongues. Born again, it's available for every uh, saint of, of the Lord, and everyone should speak in other tongues. And that is the introduction that the saint has to the supernatural, because now you are speaking a language supernaturally. It's not something that you've learned, not a, a tongue that you know. Uh, it comes out of your spirit. And we'll go through the, the, what tongues is all about in a little bit more depth in, in a later teaching. But that's the introduction that the saint gets into the supernatural power of God, in that they begin to speak with other tongues. And um, I think we've covered enough ground today on that particular subject, so we're going to close off the teaching on that today. Thank you.